0: The following podcast contains adult material. It is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18. This content is not safe for work. If you are a pearl clutcher, a prude, or a pious type, just don't listen. You're listening to There Are No Nice Guys, a podcast about divorce, dating, sex, And what happens when single women realize there are no nice guys. I am your host, Laura Coronado. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me for another episode of There Are No Nice Guys. And today I have a guest. Her name is Amay Lutgen, and she is a writer, director, and performer from New York City, where she was born and raised. She is the author of the book, The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. This is her first book. Amay is also the weekend editor at Elle.com, and her writing has appeared in Jezebel, Glamour, Marie Claire, and more. Welcome to There Are No Nice Guys, Amay.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is a great topic to be talking about with you, of all (laughs) people.
0: I think so, too. I think it's like a perfect fit for this. Oh, I'm going to stop for just a moment, audience. Just so you know, I have planes flying overhead. So if you hear that, I apologize in advance, but flight path is right over us. But I think we'd still have a great conversation about being single
1: and the stigmas attached to it.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the summary of your book?
1: Yeah, so my book is um, part research and part based on my own experience. At this point, I'm in my late 30s. But when I began um, working on the topic, I you know, just ended my early 30s. But it had been a very long time since I dated anybody. And if you've gone through that, which actually a lot of people have, mm-hmm. it's very different to be single in your 20s versus your 30s. Like this mm-hmm. the whole dynamic and how people relate to you about it changes very dramatically. So the book sort of starts out with me being around 31 or 32. Being at a dinner party with friends and all of my friends were in relationships and I wasn't. And they asked me about my love life. And I just tried to be honest with them for the first time in a long time. And I said, you know, I'm not sure that I'll ever meet anybody again or I'll ever date anybody again. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of pushback on this from them to the point where I began to feel really uncomfortable. Not so much because I was single, but because I couldn't talk about it honestly. Yeah. So that sort of inspired the book for me. And I
0: feel... I feel like they kind of like freaked out on you.
1: They did. And, you know, it's weird because you trust your friends, right? You want to be able to Mm -hmm. share personal things with them, Um, dark things sometimes or things that Mm -hmm. you're struggling with. And there's not a lot of space for talking about not being in a relationship in a way that's like accepting. You know, Mm -hmm. you always have to be struggling to find a relationship. And if you're not, there's a lot of like anger around that, a lot of Mm -hmm. frustration, and I think it disguises or or it's about people's fear. Yes. Because if you're in a relationship, even if you're happy, the, there's a potential to go away. You might end up losing that relationship, losing that person. Really anything could happen. But we like to believe in the security of love within romance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of depend on it for so many different things. Financial security, social acceptance, um, company, all that kind of stuff. So when you say I'm single and I might never meet anybody, that person in a relationship on some subconscious level, I think is hearing, I might have to be single someday again. <laughs> I might yeah. be alone. Yeah. You know, there's no guarantee. Um, we're sort of taught yeah. that love is guaranteed and it's really not.
0: I feel like they're projecting. So I think the pushback comes from the projection of their own fears, like you're saying. Definitely. So that was the inspiration, but, in the end, what is your goal? Like you wrote the book and you, you had to have had a goal in mind for the reader.
1: Well, as the book sort of follows my journey after that to f- kind of figure out where I went wrong. Like if the mm-hmm. reason I'm single is because of something I did mm-hmm. and, or is it because of the way society is sort of changing or set up now? And if loneliness can only be cured through romantic connection, because that's sort of what we're offered. If you're like a single person, um, maybe you're lonely sometimes, maybe you're not you're kind of told to deal with any loneliness you feel by finding romantic love. But a lot of people who experience chronic loneliness, you know, some of them are in relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of them had those relationships, had children, and now they're older. They're separated from society. Maybe they're experiencing extreme social isolation. So I was kind of exploring and wanting to like share and explain to people the ways that we're told to always redirect ourselves towards romantic love, even though there are so many other issues. Mm -hmm. Um, that are creating loneliness and creating distance from each other.
0: Yeah. And I think also in the end, what you accomplish is there's a lot of women who relate to you and that's, and that's what you're getting out of this. You're seeing that a lot of women relate to this, to your story. And I think now you've sort of solidified that we're not alone in this. Like absolutely
1: not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in a way, like I got so many messages. So the book was sort of inspired by an essay on Jezebel and it went viral And I got so many messages from people, and not just women, um, all sorts of people just saying, hey, I've also gone through long periods of my life not dating anybody. Um, I'm alone now. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Everybody keeps telling me I'm going to find someone, and I don't know if I will. And it's like all of them feel like they're the only one, like they're some sort of freak on the the edges (laughs) of society. But it's a very common experience. And I think like feeling even more lonely because you're lonely, it's pushed on us. It's very deliberate.
0: Yeah. So for me, I think that's one of the takeaways that the reader can expect is to basically feel less alone on their journey and realize that there's a whole world of people who associate with this experience. Are there, are there any other takeaways that the reader can expect?
1: I think thinking about ways in which they can fulfill some of their needs that are not romantic, because I think we're just taught to depend so strongly on romantic love to fulfill all of the things we need in life. And some of the research that I, I discovered while I was writing this book is that a lot of people in relationship experience really extreme loneliness, too, because they're sort of drawn away from other communities, from extended family, from their hobbies and the things that make their life feel more fulfilling. And they put all their energy into this, you know, pairing. Right this romantic pairing. Yes. So I think one of the takeaways I want readers to understand is that the things that help people who are single or people who see themselves as being really lonely can help people who are in relationships as well, who maybe don't want to admit that they're lonely because, you know, there's a stigma to that too. It's a, there's a stigma to being in a relationship and admitting it's not fulfilling all your needs, even though it really shouldn't be obligated to. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So, well, let's talk about specifically being single and lonely yes. and hunting. <laughs> what is your opinion of the state of dating today and I want to specify in 2022 because in 2019 it was completely different than it is today yes. so um so specifically today in 2022 what is your opinion of the state of dating
1: I, people ask me this a lot and I've been so I've been trying to think about how to best explain it but I actually think it's like we're in this huge state of flux. I think things are changing very rapidly, you know, like I don't want to make definitive statements about people even though it's very tempting to because I've now dated a lot, (laughs) especially (laughs) writing this book. Throughout the book I go on all these dates and Mm -hmm. so I have a lot of, you know, personal observations and feelings about dating and about the opposite sex or people of my own gender dating. Mm But I just think things are changing very rapidly and even more so because of the pandemic because it really shook up people's perspective on where they were at in their lives and what they wanted, right? A lot of people like dove into relationships really quickly. A lot of people ended up separating (laughs) at the end of lockdown, you know, just wanting to get away from their spouse. And I think people are just figuring things out and kind of also realizing we've had this huge rise of like dating apps, you know, like dating apps took over very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of pushback on apps now. And I no, think people sure. are like mad at them and sick of it because they realize that a lot of dating apps are designed to keep us engaged with them, not like to find us healthy relationships yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. fed up with it. Um, so I think like people are really trying to redefine what they want from a relationship, what their expectations are and where they need to be at to give to a relationship in a like healthy way.
0: So you're thinking like it's a, a time of self-discovery.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's a time of self-discovery and change. It's like a moment, you know, when there's a disaster. It's uh, it's a hor- it can be a horrible tragedy, but it's also like usually a moment where things change very rapidly. Yeah, because it's like things have been leveled, so now we're building again. Mm-hmm. So I think this is like an opportunity for people who care a lot about the state of dating or human relationships in general to really think about what they want and what they're willing to give, because it's only going to change from the people who are participating in it.
0: Yeah. Well, th- we were just talking about dating apps. What is your opinion of dating apps? Like you said, like there seems to be a lot of pushback if people are doing self-discovery. You know, I personally am seeing a lot of women leaving the dating apps. So what, what is your opinion of dating apps, of using them? Are they useful or are they toxic?
1: I, you know, I go really back and forth. <laughs> I don't want to say no, don't never use them. I, I would say I have fun with them when I'm traveling because I'm very upfront. Like I'm only here for a few days. If you wanna hang out, get a drink, show me around. And, and then the people can, you know, self-select and say, yeah, I would like to do that. Some people do enjoy just, you know, meeting a stranger or taking their chance on maybe a one night stand or something, <laughs> and that's fine, you know? So I do find use with the dating apps and there are times when I've had a good time with them. I've even met some great people on them. Like, I'm not gonna say everybody on a dating app is garbage, I don't think that's true. It's a real generalization. Yeah. But uh, they definitely do encourage us to treat people like a game or points we're racking up, versus like really engaging and getting to know somebody. I think we've become very used to the comfort of dating apps. We use all sorts of apps everywhere for our own comfort, rather than thinking about how they affect everybody relating to them. Yeah, and really getting to know someone is not always comfortable, like you know. And I think it's very easy now to just be like, oh well, there's a million other people on these apps. I don't need to deal with this or work through a conflict or have an honest conversation. I can just move on to the next one. Uh-huh. But if you've been on a dating app for a long time and I've been off and on them now for many years, I, I don't see a lot of the same people on there. <laughs> and I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say there's something wrong with them. I'm just saying like there actually isn't this unending you know, number of people available to you. And yeah. uh, <laughs> And I think dating apps really want to keep that illusion going.
0: Yeah, we get that in Vegas a lot where you kind of just see the same people over and over again. It's funny. It's like, it feels like, okay, I guess we have to get married now. (laughs) I've seen you on here
1: 20 times.
0: Well, what's really bad is when I've had men like approach me in public and be like, hey, didn't I see you on Tinder? I've been trying to match with you. And I'm like, dude, if we haven't matched on Tinder by now, we're still not going to in person. Oh my gosh,
1: that's really (laughs) creepy. I've had people who I've matched with mentioned, oh, I saw you at a bar or something. And I'm like, why didn't you say hello? Oh, that, I think that's that really weird. weird. Yeah, that
0: <laughs> totally weirds to me out. Okay, so overall, dating today with dating apps post pandemic, I mean, compared to 10 years ago, is dating better or worse?
1: Well, I mean, in my book, 10 years ago, I hadn't been dating anybody for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And right before I was like 28, I guess, 10 years ago, and I hadn't mm-hmm. probably dated anyone in two or three years. Um, in my mid-20s, I lived in a housing cooperative with lots of people, and we always had parties. Yeah. So constantly meeting new people my own age, in great environments for that kind of social um, connection. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess-
1: better for me personally <laughs> but also have <laughs> really taken over yet so it was more normal to like go to those sorts of social situations I would say things are worse now just because the circumstances of the world are extremely stressful in a way that's evident yeah. to more people so mm-hmm. having energy to go out and like meet a new human and spend your limited amount of time and energy on that is is harder mm-hmm. whatever it is I think it's harder uh yeah Yes, it's, it's worse. But I, I think that like, it's a pendulum always like things go up and down. And as I said, this is a moment of transformation, and we can make it better.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I think also it depends on whether or not you're casually dating. Yeah. Um. Because, you know, like you said, the state of the world, there's a lot of, you know, toxic toxicity out there. Um. You know, we've got people who are... Um, you know, are very spe- specific in terms of political points of view, who they want to date and so forth. And um, and it, it can get pretty toxic and hard when it's casual, I think. I, th- I kind of think that, you know, when things are difficult and you are doing all the self-discovery and there are challenges and, and things are changing, and if you're looking for something serious, those things become filters so that you are – Finding it, it becomes easier for you to find other people who are also seriously looking for relationships, too. Um, uh-huh. They're few and far between, but at least you don't have to go through a lot of douchebags <laughs> to get there.
1: <laughs> I really like that perspective. <laughs> I never, I haven't heard anyone say that recently. So, in your opinion, it's harder with casual dating because you're kind of just like putting up with meeting a bunch of people you maybe aren't that compatible with because you're casual versus like but if you're looking for someone serious you're kind of like putting those dudes or gals to the side because you already know they don't have what you want and so it's better yeah i like that that's an interesting idea i have a friend who's very very harsh on all of her potential dating app matches (laughs) and she was like swiping in front of me and explaining all her reasons why she would never date somebody (laughs) and she (laughs) she found some guy who was like um mentioned something about having to like constantly pay parking tickets and she was just like, I would never date anybody who's getting parking tickets because it means he doesn't have his own garage. Just <laughs> <She was laughs> like, really? She's like, I don't even want to deal with it. <laughs> they should have their own parking spot. <laughs> See
0: and for um, me it'd be like it's complaining about parking tickets on your dating app, that's toxic. I wouldn't date that guy. So for me it'd be a different thing. it be for me. But he's not the guy friend. for
1: either of you yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I was going to ask you about the pandemic because you were talking about, you know, the transformation and you yourself had the pandemic interrupt your dating life because you'd met a great guy.
1: I did. I met a guy who I really liked. And at the time, you know, he lived in New York and I lived in Los Angeles. And our, our relationship was just starting. We'd probably been seeing each other for just a couple months and we lived on opposite mm-hmm. coasts. But I visit New York a lot and he visits LA a lot. And then, of course, that wasn't possible anymore because of the pandemic. Mm hmm. And over the next, you know, eight months he met somebody else. He started dating and we remained friends. Like we still sometimes mm-hmm. hang out as friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it was a very hard thing, even though I wasn't deeply invested in this person, just because yeah. it's like another reminder of how completely out of control sometimes yes. love can be like it really, you know, if you've met someone you're in love with, you guys might be people who've worked really hard on yourselves and become self-actualized, whatever that means. We're mm-hmm. like, you know, you might be perfect for each other, but it, it's also a lot of luck and timing, you know? Mm-hmm. You might meet someone who's great for you, but you're they're not ready for a relationship at that moment, or you're not, or you're in different mm-hmm. places. Like a lot of things are arbitrary when it comes to finding the right person. And I don't think we admit that as much as we should, because yeah. People in relationships tend to see it as like some sort of reward, you know, yeah. <laughs> like for yeah. being being a good person. But I think that we all know like people who are not that functional and are in our relationships and Mm-hmm. really wonderful single people who can't seem to find the right person for them.
0: Yeah. And then along comes a pandemic to interrupt everything for everyone. Yeah. It's <laughs> really like, like you could be trying, you are you putting yourself out there. You're trying to find the right person. You're working on yourself. And then boom, it's like mother nature's like, Oh, here, hold my beer. I'm going to interrupt <laughs> all this work you're doing and make it even harder for you.
1: Exactly. But I think that the pandemic did wake a lot of people up to how badly they need certain types of community that they didn't really acknowledge in their daily life before. Like even the casual people, you know, from your block and your building, mm-hmm. people you see every day at the yoga studio or coffee shop or whatever, or your work friends. Um, it quickly became apparent that we sometimes need these connections as well. Yes. Even if we didn't really appreciate them or think about them, we need all different types of connections. It can't depend on only one other person.
0: Okay Ame so now I want to talk about being single and the loneliness that comes that can come with that because um, I find it a little questionable but I know that you're a loneliness expert you had to study loneliness as part of your book and doing research and I shared with you the article about the rise of the lonely single man and I question, how lonely women actually are cuz there's all these studies that claim that single women are the happiest. So, I want to know your take on this. You know, are is loneliness something that is harder on men than it is on women? Is it affecting more men than it is affecting women?
1: I think that article went viral because a lot of people found it funny, but it mentions the reason relationships are harder for men at this moment is cuz women's standards are higher and their mm-hmm. standards are higher around like emotional availability being Mm -hmm. considerate being a supportive partner versus just being like a guy who shows up (laughs) and is (laughs) dateable right um and i do think it's more common now for women to talk openly about how much better it is to be alone or to be on your own than it is to be with somebody who's a drain on you mentally financially emotionally and i absolutely agree that it is and i'm really happy to see women talking about it more openly um, I've seen so many, you know, great ladies I've grown up with be in terrible relationships where they're treated badly and just going back. And I've also been in bad relationships where I just mm-hmm. felt like I wanted to hang on to it because I was like the best I could do or because it was better to be with this person than to be by myself. Not for a long mm-hmm. time, but, you know, mm-hmm. we've all been young once. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I think that there is a change, again, like I was saying about the transformation part. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess, I guess I think, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this. I do think that single women who have a lot of autonomy, who have, you know, money to support themselves, who have Mm -hmm. a lot of freedom and a a career they like are much more likely to be happy than a single man. Because I think men are taught that eventually they'll find a woman to take care of them and deal with all that community building. Mm -hmm. Like, it's usually the women who are the secretary of the family who are setting up, right. you know, meetings with the other extended family members who are keeping them involved with the local community, church, sports for the kids, et cetera. Like, you know, women do a lot of that management of other social relationships. So if you're a guy who's never learned to do any of that work and you can't find a woman to do it for you, life is going to get harder as you get older, for sure. Yeah. So it, I think it behooves, like, single men to up their emotional intelligence game, not only to find a partner, but to like develop a, a happier, healthier life on their own. And I do think that there are guys out there who are capable of all these things, but they're just not socialized to do it in the same way that women are. Um, and maybe it, it'll be single ladies stepping back from dating even more for them to do it. I don't know. I think parents now need to be really invested in making sure their kids, regardless of gender, are getting this education. And, you know, as adults, even if you don't have a kid, I think creating community bonds within your own neighborhood, within your own people is super important because it's teaching everybody how to interact with one another in a supportive and healthy way.
0: And in a way that isn't necessarily romantic or romantic based.
1: Yes, because I think, you know, even if these articles are about single men, single women in relation to romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. the things they're talking about that both of these groups need is stuff outside of sex. It's stuff outside of like romantic entanglement and the excitement of new love. It's about communication, respect, um, being a good roommate, being a good partner, being supportive. And those things can be a part of any kind of relationship.
0: It's definitely an interesting topic. I'm glad people are talking about it. I still have hope for men. Um, I'm seeing a lot of, I'm seeing a rise of lonely, single, angry men. It's the angry men that I'm having deep issues with. Well, men have a lot of anger
1: because they have a lot of entitlement. And I also think there are a lot of guys out there um, who know that they can make a lot of money off of pandering to that anger. You know, it's like very common for like an Andrew Tate or some other podcaster, you know, through targeted advertising, through newsletters, through whatever, to reach these men, especially when they're very young. And kind of um infiltrate their lives and their ideology and really promote misogyny in this very ugly way and that's like a very disturbing plat- problem that to me i think hinges kind of on platforms not being willing to platform these sorts of voices and like recognize that it's hate speech because that's what it is
0: exactly god that was an excellent point And I really do think that there are lonely men out there who aren't necessarily misogynistic or angry. And I think that's when we have these conversations and that when these articles come out and when they see women discussing it or hear women discussing it, that they then do something will snap with them, something will trigger within them to be like, hey, maybe there are just certain things I need to work on. Like you just talked about some really basic things that a person could work on, like just building a community around them and connecting with people in a non-romantic way, you know, and something as simple as that can really affect um, their personality, their characteristics, their happiness, their joy, their relationship with themselves in a positive way, making them more suitable partners.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, we do work on ourselves and we shouldn't do it in the hopes that one day it'll be validated by somebody else, you know, like, like, oh, if I work on myself and I become a better person, I'll get to, you know, be in a relationship that might never happen. But, you know, the project of being alive, one would hope is Mm -hmm. to invest in yourself in a way that makes your daily life more beautiful, that makes you feel, I mean, feel more meaningful, more connected yeah. Um, and holding on to anger and resentment for not getting what you want is definitely not the road <laughs> to take Definitely if not. <laughs> if you're looking for growth and it's hard. I mean, I recognize it's really, it's not an easy thing to grow because it, it, like you said, it requires looking at yourself and saying, maybe there's something I need to work on here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And transformation is lonely. I mean, you want to talk about loneliness. Yes. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, to me, cause I have gone through a lot of transformation myself that, is actually really lonely, but it's also necessary, and it's a part of the process. And you know, you learn to embrace the loneliness that you find within transformation. Because honestly, there's some, there can be some romance in loneliness. And that means, so. yeah, because there's some of your your transformation, and that that loneliness that you feel as you transform and improve as a person is, it's yours and yours alone, and it only belongs to you. And to me, that's romantic.
1: Yeah, and I think in a way that, you know, we have a word for that also. It's like solitude. Like solitude is loneliness yeah. that has, you know, a, a beautiful quality to it. Mm-hmm. And because I've spent so much time alone now, especially not being in a relationship for so long, I've learned to do a lot of things by myself that I know my friends who've been mostly in relationships would not be able to do because they just don't mm-hmm. have that um, practice. Yeah. And I think some of them would like to have it and I hope they get to experience it too.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so that brings us to removing the stigma of being single or never married. I mean, you and I are talking about how there can be romance in being single and in solitude. You know, how do we get rid of the stigma? I mean, you you even talk about how there's statistics that show that there are more single women in the world than there are married women. So shouldn't the stigma be about being married?
1: <laughs> um, you know I mean, I guess in certain groups there are I don't I think I feel more the sensitivity around not being in a relationship versus marriage just because I grew up in, mm-hmm. in New York and it's not as common for people to be married here mm-hmm. especially young so it's not so much the marriage thing but you when you go without a partner for a long time you notice how much a society is just built around partnership as like a mm-hmm. the default setting and I think I think we can't um, get rid of stigma just by being like, I'm single and I'm happy because yeah. <laughs> married people don't have to do that. You know, <laughs> I think it's just requiring, you know, a level of joy in singlehood that maybe isn't always there. Like sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't like it. A lot of the time it's not really the main mm-hmm. defining factor of my life. Yeah. Um, but I I think like it's the material aspects of couplehood and how they can be extended towards single people that would reduce the stigma. Because so much um, of stuff around like taxes, health yes. insurance, um, beneficiaries at the end, you know, at the end of life, like all sorts of things are wrapped up in the institution of marriage, like via the law. Mm-hmm. And I think if those benefits were extended to single people or to chosen families, um, or even like dedicated friendships in certain cases, like if those legal protections or benefits were not hinged on marriage, I think that would go a long way towards reducing stigma yeah. because the reality is it's like your life can be worse if yeah. you're not married in a lot of circumstances, especially in the U.S. where so much is connected to health insurance mm-hmm. and end-of-life care in okay. marriage.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's systemic. I mean, we have a system that's based to support and really celebrate um, couples. And, um, you know, so when you're single – you know, when I bought my house just a couple years ago, yeah, my um, uh, the paperwork, whatever, something—I can't remember what it was exactly—but there was something on there that said Laura Coronado, comma, a single woman. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Is this the paperwork for my house or is this the name of my memoir? Like, I don't
1: understand. <laughs> well, they gave it to you, so it is now. <laughs> but, well, actually, you know, I, when I was doing research around, you know, various stigmas that single people experience, it can be harder to rent as a single woman. Like, that's just wow. a, a weird <laughs> Um, lingering discrimination you know I mean like for years we couldn't have a credit card in our name Mm -hmm. and I think that kind of stuff like it just builds up over time and it becomes Mm -hmm. a suspicious thing of a single woman like can she afford it I'm not really sure what it is but that's also a real statistic
0: I think probably you know I don't know that we can completely change systems and society you know all in just one swoop but I think as individuals what we can do is not let the stigma bother us you know The stigma's there, but it's their problem, not ours. And as individuals, we just have to not care what other people think about us being single for a long period of time or never being coupled up or never being married or whatever the situation is.
1: I absolutely support that idea. I think it's harder in practice and also, you know, kind of another burden on single people to ask them to be okay with like actual real ways they're maybe discriminated against or excluded because of their status. Like it's hard to maintain A feeling of positivity about that, Mm -hmm. but I'm also like a very uh, confrontational person. So I also like to point out when somebody is doing something or suggesting Mm -hmm. something because I'm single and just make because sometimes people are not even very self aware about the ways Mm -hmm. that they are judging you or making assumptions about you because you know you're you've never been married or you don't have any children. Um, So if you are brave enough or comfortable enough talk about it when it comes up, especially with friends and family. And To me, that's really important because people don't question these long-held assumptions they have about what it means to be married or unmarried, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're in a place of comfort in that situation, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, I you reminded me, I took a salsa dance class recently and on the very first day. And I, of course, all the people who showed up for the first class were couples, except for right. me. And um, and the instructor was you know explained. He said something. Uh, you know, first he's showing us steps as individuals, and then he's like, okay, we need to couple up. And then he says, you do know. He saying this is the class, not just to me. To the class, he says, you do know that salsa dance is a couples dance. Hmm. And I go, what are you like pointing out that I'm the single person in here? It's like you just said, like calling something so rude, and also <laughs> like, don't let
1: me sign up then.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, can I not? And, um, and he laughed because he realized he didn't meet and he himself is single, but he just didn't even realize that he was doing that, you know, and, you know, and we all, of course, dance with each other. So it was no big deal. And he even danced with me. So it was no big deal. But just the way he worded that I was like, don't make salsa sound so exclusively for couples, like, let it be an inclusive dance, even for those of us who are single, and maybe just dancing by ourselves on the dance floor. (laughs)
1: I haven't been to a class like that in a long time, but I do remember in my early 20s going to some sort of couples dancing class. And, you know, if you've been to one, they rotate you. So it's usually like Mm -hmm. men on the inside, women on the outside, and then you rotate each number. So everyone gets a chance to dance with each other, which I think is just a better way to learn how to dance because you're experiencing a lot of different people's styles, the mistakes they make, you know. It just makes sense. And there was one woman who just, you know, after a couple rounds, she couldn't take it anymore and she pulled her, her guy out of the circle and they danced in a corner the rest of the night. And I just like, something about that was very sad to me. (laughs) I mean, maybe they were there to bring, get closer to one another to have a shared hobby. But even so, it's like, you can't, you know, it just felt like a very narrow minded (laughs) (laughs) response to what was happening.
0: I'm embarrassed for that woman. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I still remember it all
1: these years later (laughs) because it was so weird. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm going to wrap up this interview, Amae. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to talk to you about this.
0: Um, where do people find you specifically? Do you have a website?
1: I have a website. It's A i m e e l u t k i n A I M E E L U T K I N.com. And um, I'm on Twitter uh, at A Lutkin. I'm on Instagram at A A Lutkin confusing on purpose for some reason. (laughs) And um, I would love if people picked up my book if they were into this conversation. It's called The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. And it can be found anywhere books are sold.
0: Nice. Well, I will be sure to link to your website and social media on the blog post that accompanies this interview. And I will link to The Lonely Hunter as well so people can buy it and check it out. I think that they'll really enjoy it. And like I said, I think Anyone who's feeling lonely as a single person will feel less alone in the world once they read your book.
1: Thank you so much, that's just what I want.
0: <laughs> How amazing was that interview? I really like amaze's perspective on life and being single. She's realistic without being cynical and very diplomatic and balanced. I love that. If you're listening to this podcast on my website, please look over the accompanying blog post for a link to a May's book, The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. If you're listening on one of the many podcast platforms where There Are No Nice Guys is available, please go to my website. There are noniceguys.com to find links to Amay's website, social media, and her book. And please return next week. Remember how Amay and I just talked about the rise of lonely single men? Well, next week, I want to talk about it more in depth. And I am nowhere near as diplomatic and nice as a May is. Are you interested in hearing my hard take on the lonely single man? We'll come back next Sunday because I have a lot of shit to say. See you then. Break, 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 break,